Hey everybody, welcome to a podcast of Enchantment. I'm Joseph Nardone. Today I'm joined by Roto World writer and Baltimore Sports Life contributor, Raphael Johnson. Raphael, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Joseph. How are you doing? I'm living the dreams. As I say almost every episode, I'm in pajama pants, which is one <laughs> of the um, the perks of working in the industry. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, are you also in pajama pants? No, I'm not. I, I actually got dressed today, so... Did you go somewhere? You work out a lot, right? So did you go to the gym? I didn't get to go to the gym today uh, just because I had a lot of work to do in the morning. So I didn't have time to go today, but I'll be back at it early tomorrow morning. So, See, I'm too scared of people. I don't go to the gym. I work out from home. Uh, 40 minutes of weightlifting and then 10 minutes of cardio because I hate cardio. Do you hate cardio? Um, I don't hate it. You know, I'd much rather have like a ball in my hands or a ball at my feet when I'm running around, but... Yeah, you know, it's it's manageable. It's kind of something that I, don't know, I just tell myself I have to do it. So just go ahead and do it, get it done. See, that's something like until it sounds so simple, but until you said it, it didn't even dawn on me that I could just you know play pickup basketball or join a men's yeah. league as opposed to doing actual cardio. Uh, we start every show off with off the rail questions, um, light fare for the reader or yeah the readers, the listeners to get to know you a little bit. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, the first one's really tough. Uh, who do you think is the best college bas- basketball writer in the world? Name Joseph that you worked with while you were at FanRag Sports. Yeah, it, it would have to be Joseph. I'm not, I'm not too sure, man. But sound, since Joseph's the only one, I'd have to go with Joseph. Yeah, Joseph yes. Nardone. Man. Yes, I don't think <laughs> there, I, don't, I believe there was no other writers there named Joseph Nardone uh, at FanRag Sports while you worked there that also wrote college basketball. Question number two. When going to bed, like, you know, in your bed to sleep, is the comforter neatly tucked in or is it wrapped around your body like you're a mummy? It's It depends on the time of year. Um, I think, like, during the spring and, and summer. Like, summer, I don't even use a comforter out here in Arizona because that would probably be stupid. But during the winter, it tends to be wrapped around me, yeah. So, like a mummy. So, yeah. the, the, <laughs> living in Arizona... I uh, do you have a, an apart? You live in an apartment. It's condo. Condo, okay. Air conditioning. Um, no, they have a swamp cooler. Which what? Yeah. So how do you live? Um, a lot of fans. I really don't use the swamp cooler that much, just because you know the circulation doesn't really, the ventilation, I should say, doesn't work as well as it probably should. So, you know, fans. Um, it's not too bad, to be honest with you. You know, it's not like you have to just sit still for hours on end during the summer. But, you know, you just have fans, you know, you go places where they have air conditioning. It's pretty good. But it tends to be really cold in those places, too, just because they just have it blaring. But, well, Toff said that dry Arizona hot air. Um, in your Twitter bio, it says that bacon's overrated. Please explain. It is overrated. Like, I... I See so many people going crazy over bacon and how, how great it is. I just, I don't know. It, it's just not for me. I don't really eat much in the way of pork to begin with. You know, I have like pepperoni or whatnot. But in terms of bacon, I just, I don't know. It's not really something that I feel like I have to set aside a part of my like culinary taste for. And so that kind of goes against the conventional line of thinking I see from a lot of people when it comes to bacon. So, yeah, it is overrated in my opinion. So, like, bacon is the Kobe Bryant of food. Like, it has its place 
in like you know its place but it's not like the greatest thing ever yeah, it's not the greatest thing ever you're probably gonna have some kobe stands in your <laughs> in your comments after that one but yeah it, no it's not really it's it's okay but it just isn't for me you know other people can have it you know they want to get mad about what i said <laughs> that's fine but that just means more bacon for you so why even waste your time on, on me you know Right, totally. Like the idea that somebody dislikes bacon shouldn't make somebody mad. It should make them happy. There's more bacon. What I guess the follow up question here is, what is your preferred go to food? Ooh, it's a good question. Um, Only questions I ask. Yeah, <laughs> I'd probably say pasta if anything. Oh, um, nice pasta. Well, I'm Italian, so of course you know stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> Pasta's good. Um, fish, different types of fish, pretty good, especially salmon. I like that a lot, but I try to eat not totally clean, but I tend to, I tend to watch what I eat most of the time. Have you ever had something called chicken wing pasta bake? I have not. Okay, listen, this is obviously a college basketball-ish podcast, which is barely college basketball, but it, all it is is you boil like the pasta like your normal boil pasta. Mm-hmm. You have wing sauce. I don't know if you make – some people just buy like Frank's wing sauce. I make my own. Mm-hmm. Um so you boil the pasta, then you put it in a pan, like you do two pounds of it, then you put the wing sauce over it, then you get chicken, you should already have that cooked, or you can even buy canned chicken if you're lazy, mm-hmm. lay that over the top, then lay some cheese over the top, put it in the oven for eight minutes, chicken wing pasta bake. One, the thing you need to know is the next day you can't have plans, because it'll run right through you, oh. but it is <laughs> delicious. My wife is making it literally as we record this podcast. Wow, it sounds pretty good. Right, this, try it out you're gonna have to i promise you you will not regret it and it only takes 20 minutes to make um right. what happens after we die um i don't i i assume we become like compost or what have you you know bones you're no no i meant like i meant like is there life at, don't don't simplify this life to after a, death yeah do we go to heaven is there anything or do we are we uh a uh, squirrel in the afterlife like, I really don't know. I never. That's not really something I thought about. So that's a really good question. Um, Why does nobody think about this? I ask this question on every single podcast, and it's all I ever think about. Like I'm constantly thinking about what's going to happen to me when I die. Because you invariably have to think about your death, and I don't think that's something a lot of people look forward to doing. Like because then you get into like crazy scenarios of how am I going to die, you know, whatnot. But. I think that's probably why a lot of people don't talk about it. I would say for me personally, I think we we come back reincarnated. You know, I think maybe you come back as like an animal or something. I don't really know, but I, I like to think that one life, one life in a physical sense doesn't mean that that's it for you. I think you're going to come back in some form. All right, well, the, that begs a follow-up question. If you're going to be reincarnated, as a not human, what would you want to be reincarnated as? Damn, um, I don't know. Probably like a squirrel or something. I don't know, man. So either way, you're just, <laughs> it just feels like something's you're gonna be. It's gonna be like a never-ending cycle because you come back as another living being. You're gonna die eventually anyway. So, right. I would, I would pick a cat. Um, mm-hmm. they don't have to do much. They're lazy. <laughs> you could be an asshole, but it's expected of you, so it makes you cuter. Um, last weird, stupid question. Better fictitious basketball player, Mark Cooper, Mark Cooper from Hanging with Mr. Cooper, or Steve Urkel in Family Matters? 
mean, Mark Cooper is the easy answer. Like he got to play in an actual in an NBA game. I don't know if it was an actual NBA game. I think he was a they, ten day contractor. Yeah, okay. I think he got a ten day. Yeah, but they they thought enough to put him, you know, in the in an NBA uniform for an episode. So I, I'd have to go with with Mark Cooper. Also, I don't remember if hanging with Mr. Cooper actually had like basketball episodes where they showed him playing. But Steve Urkel played on a court that was like the size of a bedroom. Um, yeah. While obviously Jaleel White was clearly a very good basketball player, um, he had an, it was the same thing with the French Prince of Bel Air when Will mm-hmm. Smith was playing on a basketball court that was like ten feet long. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're I think gonna... every TV show in the '90s had like an egregiously small basketball courts. I don't get it. Was the same way. But... Oh, dude, you're right. Like I don't get it. Like I played uh, this place called the music youth center growing up and like we used mm-hmm. to complain because the three-point corners were short like yeah. if your shoe size was above a nine you were out of bounds mm-hmm. but like these tv shows in the in the 90s specifically it was always just wildly tiny courts where like a half court shot in those gyms was a realistic three-point line in every real basketball court in the country they pull up like it too like oh, they wouldn't dude. even try to play it off Oh no, they didn't care. They were just like whatever. Or the, <laughs> I don't know, man. I have a weird fascination with not just basketball, but sp- like when they inject sports and sitcoms in general, where yeah. you could tell, like one, you could obviously like Will Smith was a good basketball player. Julia White was obviously a good athlete. Um, but then like there's other shows like where they like, uh, what's that show with uh, Ben Savage? Uh, Boy Wonder. Family Boy Years. No, Boy Meets World. The other Wonder one. Years. Oh, okay. Boy the, Meets World, Wonder Years. Yeah, so he had a basketball court in, like next to uh, Mr. Sweeney's fence for a couple seasons, and they yeah. never shot it. And my guess is they put it on set because they're like, oh, eventually we're going to do a sports show, a sports episode. And they're like, ah, this kid can't ball, so we can't have that episode. Yeah, I can see that. But I also think it's just something that like, you're conditioned to see a basketball hoop on someone's garage, you know? I mean that's so, also, that's not something I thought about before. It, it, it you don't see it as often nowadays, but I think back like when we were growing up, you would see like a basketball hoop either perched atop someone's garage or they have a pole with the hoop attached to that. You know, so that's probably why they did it back then. Now I didn't necessarily. I I don't want to like make it sound like I grew up poor, but for this one time like we moved around a lot and all this stuff. This one time, my father got me a basketball hoop for a driveway that had rocks in it and I complained that there's rocks in it and he tried to convince me and make me a better ball handler do you think there's truth to that or did my dad lie to me I think there's truth to that do you do because um, let me tell it, you something I was not good at handling the rock at all <laughs> it, yeah the focus yeah the focus more you know is the, the ball can kind of bounce but it's like the old courts where they have the dead spots like you know where the dead spot is so when you get to that area you kind of have to um, you know adjust your game you know you have a, a driveway filled with rocks you know you may have to adjust a little bit more but i you get what i'm saying there no totally were you any good at uh basketball when you were younger yeah i was pretty good you know not good enough to play in like college or anything but you know this this was not this was not a white guy asking a black guy if he was good at basketball by the way no i know i i know the difference (laughs) trust me i know the difference you get approached enough in a grocery store where people just assume you play a sport it's like man if you don't get away from me seriously but yeah, I, I knew exactly where you're coming from. I, well, how I tall are you? Basket, six six. All right, so you're you're a good size. So, uh, did you play uh, organized high school basketball? Yeah, I did. 
what's what, what size of high school did you go to? Like, how many kids did you graduate with? Um, my graduating class probably had about I want to say about seven hundred kids. So it's pretty big, pretty big high school. So you played power forward then? I'm guessing with seven hundred kids. Um, no, three. Yeah, combo forward basically. Yeah, little three, little four, All little right, so five, two. But... I'm six foot even. I graduated with seventy kids. I played center. Oh wow. Um, I told the story on the last podcast where I went to the, not went to, I played in the same division at the same time as Jerry McNamara in high school and his team won the state championship and all that. And they were yeah. stacked. They had a legitimate like six, 11, seven foot center. Um, and I had to guard him and oh, wow. it did not work out well for me. Um, yeah. I got, uh, I'll tell very, even though you're the guest, I'll give two brief stories. The first time he tried to dunk on me, I punched him right in the deck. Um, and I got away with it. And then my senior year, that kid graduated and it was Jerry McNamara's senior year as well, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And at this point, everybody knew he was going to Syracuse. And like, you know, like when you're in high school, you think you're actually important, but you're really not, Mm. but you think you are. Like I was in a, I was an okay basketball player. Like I was a decent sized fish in a very small pond. Um, I set a screen on a kid, kid fell down, Jerry McNamara thought, and I, to avoid stepping on him, I just stood over him. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry McNamara thought I was like posing over him, <laughs> so he uh, so he came over and he shoved me, and I shoved him back, and I screamed like, and we're in at like Bishop Hannon's where he went to high school. It's an actually yeah. very small gym, mm-hmm. um, so the the crowd goes silent because I, I had a reputation as a dirty player, which I was. Um, I had like ten technical fouls, which is unheard of for like a high school basketball player, but. Um, so the crowd goes silent when he pushes me, and I'm screaming. I don't give a f what biggie mm-hmm. school you're going to. I will. I will f you up. And uh, I got ejected from the basketball game. And then it, I was in the head. This is how. I mean, obviously Jerry McNamara was a big deal in the Scranton area. Um, oh. I was the headline in the newspaper the next day that I yelled profanities at Jerry McNamara. Nice. You've been writing, you know, college basketball, other sports for a long time. You're at Road to World now with a slightly different thing, fantasy focus. But for those unaware, why don't, why don't you give a little background about where you started, your like your writing process and your career and all that? Very vague nice. question, I know, but mm-hmm. it actually started in about 2003, 2004. Um, so for a website, it's collegehoops.net. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore, but that's where I started. They were looking for writers. I sent in a sample that was just way too long-winded. But my knowledge, I guess, was pretty evident in terms of, you know, my knowledge of the sport and whatnot. So I was able to trim that down, and that kind of started the whole process of you know, writing writing for them while also working a full-time job. Um, eventually, it got good enough to where I was approached by NBC Sports in about 2013. So made the move there to college basketball talk. Um, Kind of went back and forth. Ended up doing that full time for a little bit until they kind of went to, went through the process of cutting hours for some people. So went back to being kind of a part time deal and 
you know, I think throughout that process, I ended up working at, at FanRag with you guys when you approached me about that. Uh, did some work at Heavy.com as well. Um, that didn't really work out just because of the emphasis on page views and whatnot. And I kind of felt like that at times that came at the expense of the quality of the work. So that ended up not really working out too well for me. So ended up going, you know, going back to NBC, doing a full-time job on the side. And then, you know, I was doing some work for Roto World as well, mainly NBA draft work, some preview content during the NCAA tournament. And it eventually turned into them approaching me and saying, you know, would you like to just work with us full time? You know, it's all the NBC window. So I was able to do that. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a fan of your work. Uh, I approached you to come work with us when FanRag Sports was still alive. Mm. I still contend, um, even though nobody read any of our work, uh, that at the time we had a really good college basketball roster. It was you, yeah. myself, Ken Davis, Kyle Kensing. Um, Rothstein was there. I'm going to be blank on Wendell Barnhouse. Like a lot of guys that had a lot mm-hmm. more experience than we did. Um, but yeah, like I was always a huge fan of your work. I really liked your stuff with when you were with like doing stuff alongside Doster at NBC because you guys had a stacked team for a while before they made those cuts. It was yeah. you, him. I know Troy left to go to Sporting News at the time, I believe. And then there was also uh, Travis Hines. Mm-hmm. Um, Terrence, Scott, I'm forgetting Terrence's last Terrence name. Terrence Payne. Terrence Payne, and there was one other guy, and I'm blanking on Scott his. Phillips. Yes, Scott Phillips. He's still there. Yeah. Um, so, like, you guys had a stack roster. What's like the What's been for you the process of moving on from? Not that you don't cover college basketball at all anymore, but like now you're focusing with Roto World a lot more fantasy sports. How has that transition, I guess, into a different kind of coverage been for you? It, it's been a bit different because now you're kind of you're, while you're breaking down games and whatnot, you're also kind of an advisor in a sense, you know, because a lot of people are reading these things, looking for tips and, and trends and whatnot on, on what they should do with their fantasy rosters. So that's still kind of a work in process, progress for me. Um, I, I feel like I've gotten better at it, but it's something that I can still work at. But yeah, that's probably the biggest transition for me, you know, um, where you're writing columns and, or, or doing news blurbs or whatnot and you have to mix in that that impact angle that you may not always have to do with like your standard sports writing so to speak now um you're, you've been doing this how long at least a decade right yeah more like 15 probably like 16 years or so how i mean i i don't think you'll be offended how old are you 36 39 39 all right i'm 36 so we're similar age you are yeah. the first guest on the show that is older than me um Shit. <laughs> yeah i feel better about myself um so both of us have been doing this a pretty long time um from when you started to compare to now do you find yourself not only just covering sports differently but consuming them differently than when you first start when you were younger basically yeah um i tend to not really want to hear much of the noise so to speak like you know, I, I wouldn't really say, I wouldn't want to just like take shots at NBA Twitter or anything, but it kind of seems like take oftentimes them. like like drama related things that I really don't give a damn about. And it's like if it has something to do with like an actual story or whatnot, okay. But you see some of the things that get written or, or posted on social media, and it's kind of like, why are you doing this? You know, <laughs> and, and that stuff, I, I kind of find myself really 
seeking ways to like cut through all the noise and just get right to the point. And, and that would probably be my biggest change in, in terms of how I watch sports and whatnot. Um, Cause I, I don't really care about like the drama and whatnot. I, I just want to watch the game and be able to take things away from that. But yeah, you know, when I was, when you're younger, I guess you tend to have more patience for stuff like that. But as you get older, it's kind of like, nah, man, I don't want to hear any of that, you know? But well, plus I think that would be... Go, go ahead. ahead. I'm going to say, it's, plus it's a general life balance thing. Like, someone yeah. like you or I aren't going to be spending all day on Twitter discussing mm. James Harden's defense yeah. as opposed to, like, you know, going out and doing something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And that's not exactly. really a knock on a 22-year-old kid that's on Twitter a lot. It's just, I don't, that's not, like, I'm barely on Twitter anymore. Yeah, I, I used to be on Twitter all the time. Like, when it first started, I probably had a pretty annoying habit of giving, like, borderline play-by-play <laughs> of games. You know, so that's probably why my Twitter count is so high now. Like, I'd imagine that the first four or five years I was on there, I'd probably put at least seventy-five to 80,000 tweets to it. And, you know, but after a while, you start to realize, okay, um... If I'm not actually getting news or, or, you know, giving it or giving analysis or news or what have you, what am I really doing on it? You know, so it, it's really helped kind of cut down the amount of social media consumption. And frankly, you, you tend to watch some people, how they act on there. It's like, I know damn well you don't behave like this in real life. So why are you doing it online? You know, so it's kind of like I, I tend to want to get away from all that and you know, just go do my work and, and, you know, live my life, basically. Well, yeah, that's how, I mean, I don't want to say, like, I just came to the realization of it, but it was always, like, in the beginning, it was, like, well, I have to find my place in the industry, and I yeah. thought I could do it through Twitter. And now that I'm old enough, like, I'm stable job, and, you know, I guess I don't have to worry about it. Like, I never cared about being, like, famous or mm-hmm. anything like that. So, like, now it's, like... Maybe it's easier for me to justify not using Twitter. But like yeah. definitely when I was early in my career, I was like, feed me validation through retweets. Do you know what I mean? Or Yeah, exactly. Or um, feeling like I had to have a take on everything. And what I realize now, now I'm 36, I don't have a lot of takes. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't <laughs> have that many takes. Like at FanRag, they used to make fun of me because a lot of my columns would be basically, I just hope everybody's happy. But yeah. that's kind of who I am. Like, I kind of just want everybody to be happy. I know it's not realistic, and I know that's, like, an idealistic version of, or too idealistic way to view that things. But, like, outside of certain things, like, I could have, I have strong takes on the NCAA and yeah. that stuff. But, like, I don't have strong takes on if coaches should be fired or not, or if, and I don't like criticizing players at all, college yeah. basketball players, because they're not paid. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I'm writing about a college basketball player in specifically, it's only going to be glowing because I'm not going to bash a kid that's not being paid for his services. Yeah. Then even with a coach, um, if I'm when I do cover coaches in a non like, yeah, I'll write a feature on a coach, like do their origin story and after an interview. But like if I'm doing another story on them without talking to them, it is. I feel like I have to tread very lightly because there's always situations and circumstances that I won't know unless I talk to somebody else. Like the yeah. only time I can ever remember going hard at a coach without, well, I did talk to people, but not talking to the coach directly was the Kevin, was Kevin Stallings. Yeah. But I talked to, I felt like I talked to enough people to be like, okay, it's okay to go hard at this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, But 
other than that, like, I'm afraid to have an opinion. Not afraid. I just don't feel like I have any takes. Like, I don't watch whatever game and be like, oh, well, so-and-so's no good. Let me tweet that out. I just It feels, I don't know, gross to be calm like a seven or an 18 or 19-year-old kid bad at basketball. Yeah. I think my main rule at this point is if you're not going to say it directly to that person, don't say it or don't write it. You know, I think that's usually a rule that most people begin when they begin, they tend to have it. But after a while, so you see some people kind of deviate from that. And it's like, dude, you know, first off, if you were directly in front of this person, would you say it? And secondly, these are human beings. Like, you know, you're not dealing with a robot that just goes off to some random garage or wherever they keep the, the robot athletes after they're done. They got family, they've got friends, you know, they've got they got people who, who they ad, ad deal with on a daily basis. And and the last thing you want is for them to have to answer for some nonsense that you wrote or said. It's like just treat you know, just Abide by the rule of, you know, if I wouldn't want someone to say this to me, I'm not going to say this to about to or about them. That's basically how I try to look at things. I think that's a ridiculously excellent way to look at it. Um, I know, like, in the very beginning of blogging versus traditional journalism, a lot of the pushback from tradi- traditional journalists was, uh, like, you're not in the locker room to face... Yeah to face, you know, the things that you're saying, which I always Mm -hmm. felt was a valid complaint. And I also did think the opposite was also true where, to a degree where a lot of people might be blinded by the need of access. So Mm -hmm. they might not be willing to um, ask an important question. Like the example, like the most recent example I could think of, and apologies to those who listened to the last broadcast, is I was having a conversation with a colleague about Mark Few and how in the pre in the off season he had that what I would consider a long problematic walk while talking about name image, image and likeness rights. Yeah. And it was very Fox business Fox News inspired. Yes, um, it was. And it was fa- it was also factually incorrect. Like that same mm-hmm. week, um, California actually uh, passed a bill to help the homelessness in the state and yeah. all that stuff. But um, I got I won't mention the writer because it's not fame for fair for to him but I, I was going i wrote a piece about it and i was going on on twitter about it just saying blah 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 and a beat writer came at me and i'm just like well listen you can't say that wasn't problematic unless you agree with his viewpoints but they're factually incorrect and he's like well mm-hmm. i'm gonna backtrack because i can't say anything because i work the beat and my counter argument is because you work the beat you should ask that question like you should yeah. go you should follow that up because a crime reporter might need the local police department's um, access to do stories, but they can't, doesn't mean they should not ask questions that might mm-hmm. be relevant. Yeah. So I don't know. I think there's a balance to it, but I understand. I don't want to say I understand, but like this this idea that more and more writers, I I don't want. I feel like an old man yelling at a cloud, but a lot of younger writers are not really journalists anymore, as they feel like access access merchants or PR handlers, where. They're maybe not, they're so afraid to lose their beat or the access that goes with their beat. Not realizing, like, the idea of the beat is to, you know, mm-hmm. you treat it the same way any other journalist would treat their beat. Um, they're afraid to do anything other than just be like, here's my gamer. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's a lot more of, the, it, in some sense, in some areas, it feels more like a 
glorified PR type deal. Um, but I think what you hope that young young people coming up in the industry understand is that without the truth that they can tell as a journalist, you know, the story is really, no matter what story you're telling, it's really incomplete. Um, and you may have readers or whatnot who may get upset about, you know, you not writing the most glowing pieces all the time, but people can, people can tell the truth and they can see it. So that's kind of how you have to look at it in my view, because even if you try to gloss over it or try to hide certain things, you're not fooling anybody. So you might as well just, just be honest about it, be direct about things as best you can and, and just let the chips fall where they may from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I'm, like, honestly, probably two years removed from doing any actual real journalism myself. So, like, it's not really fair to me to be like, do journalism better, kids. Like, I haven't done any actual real journalism in, like, two years. But uh, it's... I do keep that, what you said earlier, in mind. Like, if I'm going to write a piece about... Even, like, listen, the NCAA is easy to crush. But, like, if I'm going to write a thing... But now, like, like I do the work for Forbes, and a lot of it's now... They kind of, like niched me in an area where I'm focused on like the politics that's going alongside the NCAA yeah. stuff now. So like when I write about Mitt, Mitt Romney's working group and I write what is a factual statement because he literally, you know, said the thing he said and I'm just like, mm-hmm. this should be concerning. This is something I would uh, ask Mitt, Mitt Romney if he was yeah. stupid enough to talk to me. I'm working hard for respect in my city. I'm working hard for respect. You think you got it, I got it for real. You think you got what I got? Uh, this one for those they in my city. Are you originally, you're originally from the East Coast, right? Yeah, I'm from Connecticut. Uh, uh, Connecticut. What is, where in Connecticut? Um, Hartford. I moved, to, I moved to Manchester my last three years of high school, but yeah, mainly grew up in Hartford. Uh, what do you do there? Um, just live life. You know, you have friends that you kind of hang out with. Um, Obviously, it's not the biggest city. You know, you're kind of right in the middle of that Boston to New York corridor. But so you end up, you know, picking up on a lot of trends and whatnot from those areas. But yeah, you know, you hang out at the park, you know, play sports, what have you. But is it weird that I think of Connecticut like Alaska? Yeah, I've never <laughs> been there. I've never been. There I've never been to Alaska either. But it's <laughs> like there's a there's like actual connectivity in a sense like it only takes a couple hours to end up in in say boston or new york an hour you're, you can be in providence you know you can go to jersey you go a little further further south in new york and end up pennsylvania as well so it's not like we're cut off from the rest <laughs> of the country so yeah it is weird that you look at at connecticut like alaska well listen i'm from pennsylvania and people think i live like in the farmlands and I do not. <laughs> you know what I mean? I live in, yeah. in like, I know Scranton and Wilkes-Barre aren't big cities, mm-hmm. but they're both cities. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's maybe one of those blind spots I have. Like, I do that with other states, too. Like, where I just, I hear, like, maybe it's, like, North Dakota, and I imagine 20 people mm-hmm. live there. All right, but the question I have for you here is, what's the best coast? Yeah, yeah I, I have to go East Coast. Um, I, I'm biased, obviously. I've been out here for a while. I don't exactly live on the West Coast, you know, so because Arizona is not on the coast. But yeah, I'd have to go. I'd have to go to the East Coast for sure. Yeah, I mean, the East Coast is the best coast. If anything, taught things, us about things are a lot closer. Like if you drove, if you tried to drive like two or three hours in like Southern California, 
you're probably not moving too far as opposed to like the East Coast. You could be in an entirely different state. So I like that a lot more because, you know, everything's a bit different. You know, because you, you may encounter someone in like New York or and, and encounter someone else in New Jersey and they kind of have different ways of looking at things as opposed to the West Coast where things are so spread apart. I don't know. No, but you're right about the more homogenized. You're you're right about the connectivity. My drive from where I live to Pittsburgh is five hours. Yeah. Five and a half hours, I could also be in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, in two hours, I could be in New York City. You know what I mean? Like, it's Mm -hmm. not that that's necessarily close, but I mean, like, there is that connectivity because of the highway. Maybe we just have better highways. Yeah, better city set up to begin with, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, to be fair, we had a head start. Like, there was. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, all right. So, the next question. Your favorite non-sports ball writer? Might be Stephen King. My man. I love Stephen King. Do you watch Castle Rock? I do not, no. Why? Do you you have Hulu or no? I don't have Hulu, and I I generally don't watch a lot of TV outside of live sports anyway, so. What? Oh, man, you just ruined my next question. That you don't watch TV. All right, so Steve, what's your favorite Stephen King novel or short story or novella or whatever on Stephen King? Pet Cemetery. Really? Pet Cemetery is your favorite. Why is yeah. that? That's usually not anybody's go-to, I guess. Uh, is there a reason why it's your favorite? It's just like creepy animals and whatnot. You know, that's probably the biggest thing because you don't really don't get a lot of those types of, of stories, I think. So I would say, yeah, that's probably my favorite one. Um, did, did you ever read it? It was good. Um, there's one more I'm trying to think of, but I can't remember the name of it. Like, I can describe it. Go describe it. They there's, made a movie I, I, on it. I, I, Kathy I, Bates was like... Misery. The, um, was it Misery where she was working for the lady and she ended up... I don't think it was Misery. Not the one when she uh, kept hostage the writer? No, it was like an older lady that she was working for as a, like a, a maid or what have you. I'm trying to think of the name of the movie. Older lady, she was... And it was Kathy Bates. We're going to do our favorite segment on the podcast called Google. That's what I'm doing right Kathy now. I need to find Bates. this. Kathy Bates. Stephen King movie. I know she was in Misery. Dolores Claiborne. Oh, I don't think I've ever read or seen it. Oh, man, that's disappointing by me. What's that one about? Yeah, it's it's a you gotta read it. Like there's some interesting parts of that book where she's kind of you know she's de- I think she's dealing with a, an abusive husband and whatnot, and she's working as a um you know as a maid for an elderly woman who ends up I think who ends up dying, and Del- Dolores, who's played by Kathy Bates, she ends up getting arrested for murder. So. It's kind of a weird story. Like they kind of re- rehashed the life that she lived with that woman, and, and kind of going over everything. But yeah, it's a book that I'd really suggest you read. I'll give it a go. I love Stephen King. One of the very first books I read, uh, like adult books, I read was yeah. I, you know, I obviously, I obviously read like children books as a kid. But one of the first mm-hmm. adult books I read was uh, it, uh, one of the unabridged versions, like one of his like uncut ones. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, the thing that I found most, and I already saw at that point the original miniseries with uh, Tim Curry. I did not. Re- I was I was maybe fourteen or thirteen. 
imagine my shock when I realized the bonding moment from the miniseries when they're all shooting like you know the the rocks at the uh, at the glass bottles in the book yeah. was actually them having an orgy with the girl. Wow. Uh, um, <laughs> so that was very. Because I remember my mother being like, "Yeah, I don't know if this is the right book for you to read." And I'm like, why? And she's like, you'll find out. And I'm like, oh my God. But I thought, I also thought it was like, I mean, this was like the early 90s or what, or mid 90s, yeah. I guess. And um, I don't think that book could get written that way today because uh, I don't know how like an old white man could get away with writing about, you know, a bunch of prepubescent yeah. kids having an orgy. Um, what's uh, next question for you? You kind of ruined it because you already said you don't watch it, any of it. But your favorite TV show or movie you currently can't get enough of? Yeah. There really isn't one. Um, What's the last because... movie you went to see in the theaters? Damn. I'm trying to... I want to... It may have been Hidden... The Hidden Figures? Hidden I think figures. it was Hidden Figures. It was about the, uh, the female scientist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen... I know which one you're talking about, though. Yeah. That's probably the last one I've seen. And that was like 2016. <laughs> I'm I'm not a big. Like, I'll sit down and watch the occasional movie at home, but the whole the whole movie theater experience just really isn't for me because, not so much the cost of it and whatnot, but having to bring in the variable of dealing with other people that you don't know. So oh, it's yeah. like, you know, you got people who want to talk or be on their phones. Like, come on, man! I, I didn't pay. To hear you on your phone, you know. So, and I really don't want to deal with that type of stuff. So, I, don't yeah, know I really don't go to the theater very often. I don't know your work schedule, but if you like the movie theater experience, otherwise, I'm off on Mondays. I go. I also don't go to the movies a ton, so I don't want to make it sound like I'm going weekly. But mm-hmm. when I do want to see a movie, I go on a Monday at 10 a.m. and it's just it's me and with like five other old people. Yeah, <laughs> and nobody says a word, and the ticket's like five bucks because it's a Monday at 10 in the morning. Um. Mm-hmm. McDonald's French fries are overrated, right? Um, no. What? I, I think I don't think they're overrated at all. I think they're really good. I don't. That's more of like a childhood, young adult type thing for me. I really don't eat much in the way of fast food, but they. I don't think they're overrated at all. I like Burger King's French fries more. I don't know, man. Burger King they tend to be a little too hard. See, I think the McDonald's are too soft. Maybe this is just a preference thing, then. Yeah, I think that's what it is. All right, this is your last question. It is your hardest question in the world. Are you ready? Yes. You have to try to answer this as quickly as possible. All right. Name three white people with curly hair. Oh, man. Dustin Powers? Is it? Who played Screech? Is that him? Oh, uh, Dustin. I know who you're talking about. Well, Dustin Diamond. Dustin Diamond. Okay, there's one. Um, Curly hair? Bob Ross, the late Bob Ross. Oh man, what a great reference! <laughs> we de- yeah. you you date it yourself, but we'll take it. He's popular on Twitter again for some reason, so people will understand. All right, and the last one. Damn, man! <laughs> you only two people. I can't really think of a third. Like, I'm sure there's. Some, I could probably think of someone who ended up having like an afro or something at some point, but I can't. I really can't think of a third right now. Oh, you failed name three way people with curly hair. It's okay. Yeah. I, that's a bit I actually. St- I know you ever watch Billy on the Street? Well, you just said you don't watch TV. What am I asking? That's a <laughs> that's a bit I basically stole off him where he goes. 
I'm going to ask you something just really stupid, but tell you right. have to do it quick, and nobody could ever do it quick. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I could. The question originally was to be just name three white people. And see, if the, if, see if you can name three white people, or if, or if my guess was white, it would have been like name three black people. You know what I mean? So yeah. on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But people tend to crunch. I guess his theory is, and it's turned to, like when I do it, it, it proves true. If you say like name whatever quick, people always blink on the last one. Yeah. Um. Why do you tell the people where they can find you at on Twitter and all your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Raphael J. Um, my first name, then the letter J. Uh, you can find my work at Roto World, and you can also find it at Baltimore Sports and Life. Uh, usually a bi-weekly column on Maryland basketball. So, Everybody, one I'll, if you're coming here through the newsletter, I'll leave Raphael's uh, Twitter link and his author page is below. I can't suggest reading his work enough. I really like his work. Uh, I, back in the day, rec- like recruited the hell out of him to come work with me. Um, other than that, you can find me on Twitter at Joseph Nardone, N-A-R-D-O-N-E.